And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You'll be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do the little extra things and get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host Rich Hammond Rich. How we doing? Jordan, I am well. You sound remarkably well for somebody who I know has not gotten any sleep over the last 24 hours as we record here on Monday evening, the day after the Rams advance to the NFC Championship game with a wild, wild, wild victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jordan, we have a lot to talk about. A big game against the 49ers, of course, on Sunday. Only about a million things that happened in that in that Tampa Bay game. But Jordan, this is <laughs> All where I at wanted. One time. To, oh my goodness! <laughs> but this is where I wanted to start, and I, I hesitate a little bit because this is a little bit inside baseball. But but the people love you, Jordan. Uh, me, they can take or leave. But but you, they really really like. Um, so I, I as I was watching this game, like I'm I wasn't there. I'm not on the beat anymore. But I I, I can't help but watch games thinking about it as though I was still the beat writer and how how I would be processing it, how I would be watching it. And and I remember covering games like that. I mean, I'm talking about the the 2018 NFC Championship game, that Rams Chiefs game that year that was just wild. And I remember the feeling that I had sitting there watching that game, which is just like your head is going to explode and you, and you're trying to process. At least I did at the time like okay what am I going to write about here what's the storyline like what how am I going to tell the story of this game and it keeps changing every five seconds on you and Jordan I just couldn't help but but wonder your your column is fantastic it's on the website right now the athletic and our app of course read all read all about it um but like what was that like for you to to watch that I mean do you do you process it in the same way are you sitting there as the game's going on thinking like how am I going to write about this? How am I going to tell this story? Like, how, what, what's, what is going through your mind when you're watching the, the football field just engulfed in flames, basically? Great question. Also, don't sell yourself short. The people also very much cherish their beloved Rich Hammond and his velvet voice and yes. his pot stirring and, my and uniform his uniform updates. analytics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say... During games like that, that was one of the craziest games, probably the craziest game I have ever covered, especially live in person, uh, just sort of hostile environment, feeling what what it felt like uh, to have the crowd sort of be out of it and then come back in it in, in a big surge in the fourth quarter. And some of those back and forth chaotic moments and, and all of that, it was nuts. I will say at one point I thought to myself, I what – you know, where do I start with this? <laughs> but I think what I, the you kind of go into this adrenaline-fueled mode where your brain switches just into detail gathering and processing. And for me, so much of the detail was the feeling of it and kind of the the emotion of it, and especially the emotion, three, three 
figures are prominently figured featured in my column, Matt Gay, Cooper Cup, and Matthew Stafford. Uh, luckily, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup both provided quotes that further sort of solidified the instinct to write about them because you yeah. you go into the post game. So what what a lot of people don't know is the post game and the press box are in different places. So after a game <laughs> like that, you're still upstairs and you got to make it downstairs and into the opposing facility area, like press conference. So it used to be opposing locker room, but now it's a like tiny room where they just hold press conference and bring players through because of COVID. And you have to make it down there before they do. And so for me, I kind of felt it, it kind of lined up really perfectly because I almost felt like what players must feel like when they time the snap if they're rushing the passer, <laughs> because I got down there right at, right at the end, right as the kick, you know, after the kick left, I, I like sent, sent a last tweet and I, I wrote an email to myself and it's funny because I, I knew whatever happened in the presser, I had to address these three people who were involved in this, the winning of the game and how it struck me that Cooper Cup didn't get to have this moment the last time yeah. that they went on a run and Matthew Stafford Nobody believed that he, well, we did. Several pundits externally did not believe that he could or was capable of having this moment. Um, and clearly, certainly nobody believed that Matt Gay was capable of having this moment because this they played against the team that cut him after they drafted him, yeah. uh, after he kept missing kicks into that same side of the field. <laughs> the and joke. so I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is like, how can you not write this? But but it wasn't just about that. It was about what it felt like. And so you sprint down there and I'm literally uh, it's it's this is very inside baseball, but. I even planned my shoe choice down to what <laughs> might happen. So I always say, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't really care. I'm a writer. It doesn't really does not freaking matter like what I wear or anything like that. You want to be professional, obviously. But for me, you, I wear, I always wear a, a sort of a chunky raised heel because I like to be my rule since I was very young in this business. Like I like to be as, as I level as possible with players because that way the, conversation dynamics don't change your your face to face instead of them naturally sort of looking down as they talk to you and it just mm. changes the dynamic of the conversation for the positive not that it's intentionally negative it's just a subconscious thing right right, right. and so one one year when i was covering carolina julius peppers had come back uh out of retire or he had uh, come back to to the panthers and had a remarkable year he was 37 years old and moving like he was 20 and it just was it was remarkable but he was Famously very media shy, brilliant guy, famously very media shy, spoke up when he had something to say, but super elusive. We didn't see him the whole spring or summer or anything. And in the preseason, I caught him ducking out the opposite direction to go to the bus when everybody was filing into the locker room. And I made sort of a business decision and I sprinted down. And I, at the time I was sprinting, I was like, Two things. I'm going to be talking to one of the largest human beings on the planet, and I'm sprinting after him. Thank God I'm wearing a chunky heel. <laughs> right? So you sprint. I sprint. This brings you back me back to tonight. I was laughing, running down, literally sprinting down the tunnel, trying to get to at least where players are coming off the field, and I was glad that I made it. And again, two things. Was glad, <laughs> was glad to be able to run. Was glad to wear a chunky heel because it also got me in the right leverage over the security guard's head to get, uh, nice. to get the the video of Sean McVay yelling yes. at players to stay ready. So you have that emotion, right? And you go into the press conference, and and it doesn't always line up this way where it's reaffirmed your instincts of what you thought 
was the most important, crucial, uh, emotionally pulling, analytically pulling, schematically pulling thing to write about. It doesn't always line up that way where it is the thing that the players are most eager to talk about. But in this case, it was. And so to me, that was a brilliant feeling a brilliant moment that's that's like again it's like when you time the snap it really yeah. it's the closest a non-athlete writer sort of boring person can get yeah. to to probably what that feels like when when yeah. you know someone like Aaron Donald does that and looks like just like he's got the universe figured out when he does it right. and then you have to try to put it together and that is really hard to do um, and you develop systems and mechanisms that help you kind of focus and get in the zone in terms of um, notes, the type of note taking that you do, uh, the type of, you know, I send myself emails constantly, little lines that mm. pop up into my head to think about different things. And, and But it's just, it's never easy. And, and after you file it, there's a thousand imperfections that you think about after you file it and then your editor talks you off the ledge and like you know it's but but things like this I mean that's all that this is all what it is this is what it is to be in the postseason and yeah. to be covering games that come down to the wire like that and a three-point swing and chaos and emotion and everything that these guys are feeling that I know most of my readers are not there experiencing so it's my job to bring them in to not cause more heart and chest pain, but to bring them in as close as possible. Um, and, and so I, I kind of share those extra details that maybe some think are, are dumb. That's fine if people think it's dumb. But I, I do like sharing those other details because it's also like you invite yourself into a little sliver of that chaos, too, yeah. just yeah. so you can put yourself there mentally um, when you're writing the piece. Yeah. Wow. Brings back a lot of memories. Um, and, oh, you uh, you like a chunky heel too, Rich? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's always my strategy. I really can't wait to hear about <laughs> chunky heel on Twitter. You know, or it's going to be the new thing. So <laughs> make sure everybody gets that out there. I know when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to be seeing chunky heel in my mentions. Um, but uh, yeah, Jordan, just a really great way of describing that. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope people find that interesting. I, I certainly do. It's always great to hear that from uh, um, from a great writer like yourself and somewhat affirming that you went through the same things that I went through and, and not being in the locker room is tough too. Mm -hmm. People don't that really understand um, because you can capture so much emotion that way, even just the way that guys are looking or how they, you know, I remember being in the uh, locker room after the NFC championship game in 2018 and just like the, the exhilaration and the exhaust and the relief and all these things that were just palpable coming off of guys, you know, guys who were just, you know, Nikel Roby Coleman in his uniform for like 45 minutes after the game, you know, just full uniform, just walking around. Like, I mean, there's so many things that you can, that you can pick up um, that, that you can't from, from the press box or certainly from a zoom uh, meeting. So uh, kudos to you, Jordan, for, um, for capturing all of that. And, and what is just an, uh, a, it's a chaotic day, a darkly yeah. chaotic day at yes, times. And that's the thing. I felt empathetic, not in the same way. I've never been a quarterback who's led a game winning drive. I understand that this is, extremely low uh, low concept in comparison to the experience of what that must be. I get that. But it's almost like you try to open yourself up to that chaos and then just be in gathering mode of what details pull at you the most. Yeah. And I, I think that it's part of the reason why you can see 
you can literally see where Matthew Stafford is coming from when he's talking about, again, being darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford, <laughs> who he finally emerged, guys. You finally yes. know what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, but in, yes. but for the positive, obviously, not the guy right. who throws the interceptions, but the guy who seems to rather enjoy uh, being in extraordinarily painful and pressure-filled situations uh, and clicks into um, like some sort of different form of being in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. Darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford (laughs) and existential Matthew Stafford. (laughs) Jordan, this game was so close to being, I mean, we can, Rams fans, I'm sure, are just now kind of exhaling and catching their breath. I mean, we're talking about a victory here. We were very, very close to having this podcast be all about a devastating loss, one of the most devastating losses in franchise history, I would say. Have have you allowed yourself to think at all over the last, you know, 24, 30 hours here about what we would be talking about right now if if that, you know, let's say that they don't get that field. There's no magical for the love of the game route uh, with with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and maybe the Bucks win in overtime. Um, what are we talking about right now? Because, I mean, things you talk about dark things would have gotten really really dark really fast and I'm wondering what the narrative would be at this point about this team and and really about this this entire group going forward yeah it probably goes back to Sean McVay at that point and then the you know the four turnovers the fumbles uh certainly wouldn't have been you know at least we wouldn't have gotten Stafford takes because he has been remarkable in the postseason um exceptional in the postseason I would actually hazard to say yeah um but the turnovers and the inability to close, uh, you know, ABC always be closing. That's right. So I hear it's called. Um, for closers. <laughs> and so I, you know, I think that's that's actually something I we'll get to it in a minute, Rich. But I asked Sean about that today. This is Monday night when we're recording. Rich has great graciously uh, adjusted his own hectic schedule in accordance with the times here. Uh, and so we, you know, we just got off Zoom with with Sean McVay a couple hours ago. And uh, it, it it was revealing. It's revealing because that's the thing. It's you, you have to close. That's the that's the entire uh if we're going to talk about dark chaos and irony and existentialism and all this stuff, you're also talking about some of the crueler irony of this, of this, which is they're facing a team that sort of demonstrated to other teams that may, that they can't close as well as they need to be able to do. And you almost saw it completely topple their season um, yesterday in Tampa Bay. You certainly saw it in week 18 where they had a chance to never have to face these guys in the postseason in, in meaning the San Francisco 49ers and allowed them basically to squeak into the playoffs and, and sort of keep rolling and keep gaining that momentum. And now they have to face a 49ers team that is a little bit banged up, but also kind of at the height of its momentum at this point in terms of all of the things that encompass that. And, uh, you know, it's not like the Rams don't have that momentum, but, but the Rams have, have showed a, a dangerous sort of propensity to veer toward chaos. <laughs> and we've talked about this, Rich, where we're like, are you guys okay? Because it's okay to just close games. It's okay to have a lead and close it. You don't need to invite all of that. It's all self-inflicted mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you don't need mm-hmm. to invite that energy into your life. You can just have a good 2022. 
new year, <laughs> new you, you know, you can you can be the best version of yourself without also introducing catalysts and, and chaos into your own system. Um, but they gravitate toward it. And it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. It might just be a planetary alignment. I don't know. But it really, it, it seriously is just, it's been fascinating um, that they have gravitated towards some of those self-inflicted. And that's what we talked about in the column too. It's like yeah. some of the demons are of your own creation and you yeah. have to face them live in the moment over the span of 14 minutes. And four fumbles, you're not going to beat the 49ers. I mean, you might never win. You, you, there really has never been a playoff game won <laughs> after fumbling the ball four times. Um, so you certainly probably won't win that way again. Right. On the one hand, you can talk about resilience, and I think that's important to recognize. On the other hand, they were, you know, 46 seconds away from becoming a meme in overtime, you know, from becoming <laughs> from becoming the new meme. and. Yeah. That that would have been it would completely have shifted and shaped the narrative and it's and it's you know it's it's not acceptable you can't you can't have those moments. Um, the uh, further irony is that we're sitting here talking about how you know Matthew Stafford has to be the one to play the clean game, and it was kind of like despite his best efforts, <laughs> the game yeah. the game veered into that sort of that sort of chaos. But in that chaos, he thrives apparently. He steals souls. He does. So, uh, yeah, but but jokes aside, I mean, it's uh, it is someday will be a really fascinating sociological study in what was really happening in the minds of these players in a really small, in-bubbled ecosystem during this time. And I hope they're all wearing heart rate monitors. They <laughs> probably are, knowing Reggie Scott. <laughs> um, right. But but yeah, this could have so easily just gone the other way. And and I do think, again, we, we always talk about how, you know, multiple things have to be true. And I'm sure you guys listening are sick of hearing it, but um, it it's, it's true that it's just astoundingly impressive to win that game on the road. Tom Brady, yeah. really, really hostile environment. Uh, the crowd was already angry at the refs. Tom Brady was angry at the refs. Yeah. Uh, everybody, you know, everybody in red was angry. Um, the crowd started filing out kind of around the third quarter and came surging back in in the fourth right. quarter and, and was loud. And and then, you know, those turnovers happening the way that they did. It is admirable to keep everything steady, right? But right. at the same time, you shouldn't have to put yourself in that position in the first place. This team can beat any other team, in my opinion, can beat any team in the league if it plays to its potential without stumbling over itself. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, boy, oh boy. You know, to to lose a 17-point lead against the 49ers in the last game of the regular season and lose that game, and then to have a 21-point lead in this game and have it come down to Matt Gay kicking at the pirate ship uh, to get the win, that's some scary stuff. And if this game had gone the other way, I can't, I probably would have just had to turn off Twitter. I don't even know like what the, the narratives would have been. It would have been fire everybody. And I don't, I don't say that to be dismissive. I mean, it, it would have been, um, it would have been miserable for Rams fans. Uh, and, and I can't even imagine what we would be, um, talking about here. Uh, so, uh, for, for Rams fans, I'm, 
glad about that. Um, for Sean McVay, I'm glad about that because I can't even imagine the kind of questions he would be uh, facing right now. Uh, not to mention, I just randomly thought about the the, the timeout that he took. Oh yeah! Oh, I have, an ex- I have an ex. That was <laughs> oh, will you? that was okay, egregious. Good. I do. Yeah. I have a really quick because I know people had a lot of questions. He did. Uh, he did talk about that today. Uh, let me find it. I'm. I'm in the. I have a transcription of his. While you're looking it up, the the, the play I'm talking about here yeah. is, is the third and ten, and and there was a slant that. Uh, to Cam Brait, that was a, a nine-yard catch. It, it looked live like it was a first down, and the the way the Bucks went to run and line up, it almost looked like they thought it was a first down too. But it was actually a fourth and one, and and the Rams called timeout, uh, which allowed everybody to kind of settle down, and everybody figured out it was fourth and one, and then they ran for a nine-yard touchdown. So, what was the explanation there? Yes, so uh, it was sort of a half explanation as. Right as one does. Yes. Um, so he, he was asked today about uh, if, you know, if he still had faith in, in the team 40, you know, 46 seconds left after that touchdown that tied the game. Um, missed tackle, by the way, because that play was a stop in the backfield, but yeah. there was a missed tackle. Uh, yeah. And then Leonard Fournette just trotted into the end zone. Yeah. Um, he said that, that was part of the reason. Yeah, he said I did, you know, parentheses have that faith and think that they could drive back down the field. And he said that was part of the reason why I was going to use that timeout when they were in a potential scoring position because I wanted to ensure that we did have some time or as much time as possible left to be able to try to go do that. Um my opinion is that mm. he and the sideline uh without maybe getting good info from the top the t- guys up in the booth, maybe not waiting to get info from the guys at the top, um, really did think that they converted, and yeah, we're I, trying to. And their defense, and that's and that's the thing. Thought they converted, and that and you could see the defense wasn't set. The defense right. kind of looked like they knew that it was short, but the mm. Bucks defense was hurrying to the line, and the Rams defense wasn't set. So I right. would I would sense that there was a little bit of a panic call. Uh, you know, the, the, oh, oh no, we have to make sure our defense gets set. Terrible time to take a timeout. But if the defense isn't set, they're scoring. It turns out to be a moot point because they scored anyway. Right. You know, not a good, not not good, not good. And so I think, you know, sure, you can say that in hindsight. I, I'm not going to sit there and call him a liar or anything like that. I think you can say situationally in hindsight whatever you want if you win yeah. the game. Um, <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> but that was one of the more head scratching decisions I have seen. Um, and I would say, I would probably say, you know, I'm even hearing criticism about, you know, why was Cam Akers in the game so late? Well, they were, fle- they were, here, here's the thing. They were flexing him in and out of the backfield a lot. And clearly what he, they wanted him to be a huge factor in the passing game if there was an opportunity for him to do so. And if the Bucks did bring some of those pressures that they are known for doing, especially late in the game, you need a little bit of an outlet guy who can catch and run, keep the clock moving, um, yeah, and yeah. and still make an explosive play happening. So that's that's why I think, and and I'm you know this is an educated an educated guess here. Um, that's why I believe Cam was in in the game so much more often than than Sony was. They also were not running against that front anyway. Uh, it's so hard to run against that Tampa front, and so right. if you think that your best option is going, especially when there's pressure. 
is to a, a run the ball with Cam and then B also um you know be able to use him as that sort of explosive catch and run player. He's so physical after the catch. Um, as we've seen, if you think you can use him and, and make more yards happen on those, if those checkdowns have to happen, that is something you pick nine times out of 10. So I don't, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. I did have an issue with the timeout. Um, I know we're nitpicking at this point, but again, you cannot allow a team to come back like that. So I think you're, I think we're allowed to nitpick a little bit in, yeah. in this case. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad I gave the explanation. I don't, I mean, okay. Yeah, it's, it's fine. But I, I have I don't, the other quote too about yeah. him closing the game. But I'll let you finish your thought. No, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I, I didn't. It, I mean, Tampa Bay wasn't bleeding the clock there. I mean, they were rushing to the line of scrimmage to run a play. So I mean, I, I'm not sure that they were saving any time by calling a timeout. Tampa Bay was going to snap that ball in about two seconds um, if if the Rams didn't call a timeout there. So um, I agree, and and I, I don't necessarily like. I watched it live, albeit from from TV, and I thought I thought for sure it was a first down. Um, and you know, not until I think not until Al Michaels said it did I realize that it was uh, fourth and. So I, I understand the confusion, but um, I, I'm just not sure about the. Yeah, about the I will say it, it definitely looked down. So I saw it from the all 22 side, which is, you know, and then, you know, when you're on the sideline, sometimes you can't see with the the jumble of, of sort of bodies in the middle of the field and all this yeah. stuff. But if you're on the field and then above, you could see that it was short. Um, I think when you were looking at it like through a sideline cam or you're not getting a, an instant replay, probably hard on TV to tell. Yeah. But uh, live, it definitely looked short. So that's why I was so surprised by the timeout because then you gave them a chance to mm-hmm. obviously review the spot and everybody gets settled and then the play breaks anyway. And yeah, so right. it, it wasn't right. good. But uh, yeah. on what we were talking about earlier on – Needing to close games. Yeah. You know, I kind of asked, I asked Sean, you guys can go back in if you're more interested in hearing him explain it instead of me, which I would totally understand. Um, today, he was talking about just sort of reminding of, of the resilience that it does take to, you know, stay steady when these things do happen. And I will say, some of these things are just freak things. I mean, I, I would not have called Cam Akers fumbling twice. Yeah, he had some issues with it at the beginning of last year. Um, but you just don't think about that. You just don't think that that's something that I I wouldn't have called a mistimed snap between (laughs) Brian Allen and Matthew Stafford, uh, would not have called, certainly wouldn't have called Cooper cup fumbling. You know, those, those types of things. I think you just, you know, that's just, that's just crazy that that happens. But in terms of some of the things we've criticized before, where when you have a lead like that, what's the balance between going ultra conservative and keeping your foot on their necks. And so my question to him at the end of today's press conference was, you know, you guys are clearly comfortable making things happen when everything is falling apart around you. They've done it since December right. um, and almost seem like like we joke about concerningly comfortable <laughs> with, yeah. with welcoming uh, that type of, of energy into their system. Um, but what what does it mean, you know, 
when everything's calm? What do you do when everything feels calm? And, and you know, mm. you know, ultimately you can't relax at that time. You can't go ultra conservative. You saw this happen in the 49ers game. Again, right. it's all coming back to the 49ers. Of course. And it, it, you saw them go ultra conservative and waste a couple of drives, make mistakes, uh, that were costly. And he said, uh, and so basically it was like, I was asking about what the psych- psychological factors and, and all of that were. He's like, yes, I don't think there's a question finding that balance. That's things we always talk about because you wanted to still be able to main- maintain possession, not leave yourself susceptible to, I'm par- I'm paraphrasing because the transcript is a mess, uh, some of those bad things or turnovers that occur and saying, you know, it's often in past situations. And statistically, this is true in passing situations. This wasn't the case for the Rams Sunday, but overall, league-wise, statistically, it's in those passing situations. So you do run the ball when you're trying to close out games, or you at least attempt to, but you have to balance that between not completely wasting drives if you can't run the ball, which I think is where they came across some of their problems, not just against the 49ers, but against this team yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And he says, you know, you also, you, he says, it's, it's finding that delicate balance. You guys know I'll never run away from some of the decisions that I know I can make better. I do want to make sure that, hey, you're not just specifically outcome oriented. Let's look at what the thought process is. Was it sound? Were we trying to get some things off? In a lot of instances yesterday, I felt like there was, but I'll never pretend to think that every decision I made was exactly right and you don't learn from it. Finding that perfect balance, you want to be able to close people out. But you want to be smart in how you do that if you aren't if you are able to establish a lead. Yesterday obviously was not the recipe for it. And there's definitely some things I want to be able to do better, some things we can execute as a higher level as well. Um, and then he kind of reiterated back to the one thing that they can take away from it is a confidence of knowing that, you know, they will still be able to have that sense of confidence in, in finding a way to overcome. So a lot of word salad in that, but I think there's some value in that where he does recognize that there has to be a better, firmer grasp of that calculated aggression and that patient aggression that we were talking about that was such a problem for them last time against the 49ers and will probably show up again, especially if they do take a lead. Um, right. You know, it's it's the, it's their formula it, to try to take that lead, but part of the formula has to also be holding it and continuing to keep your foot on, on the gas. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's fair criticism to, to be, you know, made here and, and we do some of it, but, uh, to be in those situations, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, you have the, you know, one devil on one shoulder and one devil on the other, and then they're probably telling you different things like, you know, be, be conservative, you know, run the ball, make them use their timeouts. And then you got the other one on the other shoulder saying, no, go for it, put the game away. And, and, the, and both of them have, uh, merit uh, to, to look at them and say, that, yeah, there's wisdom in kind of, uh, you know, wanting to control the game and, and hoping you can run the clock out and things like that. And then there's a lot of wisdom in saying, no, you're talented. Go for the kill shot. End it right now. Um, so it's it's very tough to, to know how to, to balance those two and, and to make the, the the right decision. I mean, it's, it's very, very easy to sit and second guess that. So you try not to do that too much. It's more about the process and more about the, the attitude that you bring to it rather than the individual plays or saying, that Cam Akers shouldn't be on the field, things like that. Like, no, I don't, I don't really look at that. Uh, I, I don't think that's what what cost them, uh, you know, or put them in the situation that they were in. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to dissect, and it's really kind of a uh, glimpse into you know a coach 
his mindset too, and and how he processes things and the decision making. Um, so I, I, you know, it's it's something that I think Sean will con- continue to learn from. He probably will do things differently as he goes through his career, and I don't mean that to be a, a slap at him. It's just he's going to learn, he's going to grow, he's going to experience these situations more of them, and and probably adapt and adjust. So. Um, it's fascinating to see how, how that goes. And I'll tell you what, Jordan, the one thing uh, the Rams and Sean McVay didn't do is uh, they didn't bring six um, against Matthew Stafford uh, when with the uh, game on the line. Boy, yeah. boy, oh boy. And look, <laughs> Todd, Todd, Todd Bowles has done, and you talk about, you know, second guessing and, and criticizing. I mean, Todd Bowles has done a fantastic or did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, their season's over now, but uh, did a fantastic job all season and in this game at times to, to, to get the help get the Buccaneers back in that one. But boy, oh boy, you, you look at that play. I mean, it, of course, what we're talking about is, you know, first and 10 at the Rams 44 with uh, about 30, uh, 28 seconds left in the game. And you, you talk about going for it. Uh, you talk about aggression and Todd Bowles went for it. He brought six. Um, and what that led to was the Rams. Uh, I don't know who was on the other side with Cooper Cup there. Oh, I think it was Higby. Um, it, Higby kind of breaks off and runs an underneath route, brings one DB with him, leaves uh, Cooper Cup one-on-one with a, with a safety. Uh, Cooper Cup does what he does, makes a nice move to the inside, gets past his safety. And uh, Matthew Stafford, um, you know, as much credit as Cooper Cup gets for that catch. I mean, Matthew Stafford could not, as they say, cliche, could not have walked the ball down the field and handed it to Cooper Cup uh, any better than than he threw the ball uh, on what ended up being a 44-yard um, reception. Yeah, to despite taking a massive shot up, right up the yeah. A-gap from yeah. Sue. Yeah. 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 So um, what a play. I mean, God, and so, I mean, that's one of those, right? I mean, look, they bring six. If, if they sack Stafford there, uh, the Rams don't have any timeouts left. And, uh, yeah, because they wasted one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> You talk about chaos. Oh yeah, my. but that's it right yeah. there, right? I mean, what a decision right there. You, you see what Todd Bowles is thinking. He's thinking, we're, you know, we, yeah. we've gotten to this guy. We're, we're going we're gonna to bring it. We're going to sack him right here. We're going to make it second and 20. And, you know, that that's going to be it. Then we'll go to overtime and, and take our chances. And, well, it didn't, you know, again, uh, Indomitian Sue gets there. They are probably a half second away from, from that being a sack or a throwaway or whatever. Instead, it's the Rams in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, and there's so many details about this. We definitely have some some notables on the defensive side as well to talk about with the front specifically and obviously Nick Scott making a hell of a play, oh intercepting Tom Brady, coming across the entire top shelf of the defense to do so. A play he mentioned today, we were talking to him, that it was sort of in a dead ball situation because it was on the other side of a stoppage or a brief stoppage, and they – called the sh- they called the play that was going to be coming out of it like Eric Weddle, Nick Scott and David Long um they communicated sort of a 3 by 1 uh cuz they knew what the options for that particular before they had before they ran the play they knew kind of what the options were for the for the route concept the way that they were aligned and they ca- they called it and Nick Scott was like I'm just going to fly across the field and make an insanely acrobatic play. So that was one where I did want to share those that detail here because I thought that was phenomenal. But in terms of this, this 44 yard pass. um, So I also want to say too, that I think 
part of Todd Bowles' decision-making in this that we found out obviously later because in the moment you're like, why the hell are you zero blitzing right now? Mm -hmm. And you get, you know, Greg Williams flashbacks and all of that. But like what we learned, not just from uh, Bruce Arians post game was that it wasn't, it hadn't apparently been communicated properly along the entire back end, which again, Mm. big problem there, Uh, huge, huge problem there. And part of that is Matthew Stafford is rush is rushing them. You know, he's, he's trying to get them off balance and that part of it worked. And, and he mentioned that, that they were trying to um, press the leverage, basically um, get them moving backwards to set their line on their heels. So they couldn't really set their rush, Mm. but their rush, but the thing is that part didn't work. Because the rush was set, it just hadn't been communicated to all the players apparently properly. Hmm. So it's still Ma- the, the Matthew Stafford sort of uh, situational awareness of getting them set so quickly still worked in a way because it hadn't been communicated down the line. But okay, so then, <laughs> so then you have a a zero that you can't they they disguised it so you couldn't diagnose it until after the snap. A lot of times you can see when that's coming. Um, pre-snap, in this case, Matthew Stafford and actually Joan Opum today um, told us that you you had no, you really did not know that they were going to bring the house um, on that play until post-snap. And so Matthew Stafford maneuvering that. And then, and then in the most improbable of scenarios, that ball is never supposed to go to Cooper Cup. Because when you have when you have quote unquote when you're hot when you're the quarterback and you know pressure is coming at some point they knew they were gonna they they're obviously in passing downs with that little time so they know some type of pressure is coming right so that's when you build in all the little layers and the decoys and all this stuff to make sure that things are opened up underneath maybe you right. get a good catch and run maybe right. you take one more shot to the sideline. Um, but usually it's not that deep shot like that because right. that play, that route design and that concept literally is called for the love of the game route that they joke about in meetings because that player never gets the ball. Cooper Cup's job <laughs> is to draw a defender away from sort of the middle cluster of the field right. so that there's more space for somebody to run a crosser to the opposite sideline or there's more space for a catch and run upfield. It's the sa- especially because that's the safer play if pressure is coming because you have you know way less time to get the ball out of your hands rather than take that downfield shot. This ball in a one it really once in a season, once in a lifetime maybe for some of these guys, play happens where the ball instead does go to Cooper Cup, who somehow has the wherewithal. Again, it never goes to you. In this situation, somehow you have the wherewithal to get your head around and track it, even though you can't see behind you that they've brought a zero. And so Matthew Stafford was like, really, what I think it was, (laughs) was he he literally felt that there was no top shelf still on the defense. And so processed in real time as he's hauling ass down the field, like, oh, they brought a zero. I better be ready for this because it might actually come to me if he can get right. the ball off. Right. And he did. And and then you have to have that situational awareness to then uh, haul ass again down to that spot and spike it. Right. I mean, it's just remarkable sequencing yeah. the details there and what you saw. And I cannot state this, you know, enough is 
you saw all the little conversations, all the extra minutes, all the extra passes, all the extra notes passed in film sessions, Mm -hmm. all the extra detail work, all the extra obsessing over the minutia that Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup have done through the entire season to establish that literally historic connection, but then also to make this historic play when they absolutely needed it to keep their their season alive and to keep some life into this group moving forward, heading into the probably the toughest game they will play this season for a variety of reasons. And it's just remarkable. It's that's what that's what it looks like in all of three seconds spiraling through the air downfield. All of that, hours, days, months, just obsession over these types of details. That is what it looks like. And it all comes down to those few seconds. I I can't even imagine what is going through Cooper Cup's mind as he you know, takes a peek back or whatever and sees the ball. <laughs> like, can you imagine what, what I mean, it, it's only Expletive. a couple seconds. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Cooper Cup, uh, I don't know whether he's ever said a curse word in his life, but I, I can only imagine what's going through his head. Like, like you have to know, I mean, we're probably only talking about two seconds there, but use the, all the things he has to process and, and never mind the fact of like, oh my God, we're, we're going to win the game here if I catch this ball. I don't even know if he has time to even think that. He probably doesn't. Uh, but I, I can't even imagine what it's like. I, I think about what that moment is like when you just kind of take that peek and they're like, oh my God, here, it, it, it's, it's act, we're actually doing this. He's actually making this throw. And um, wow, I mean, unbelievable to see it. To see it. I, I, wish that, I wish I had a camera on myself because I feel like my eyes just got like 10 times wider when, when I saw the ball going down the field and you see Cooper Cup has a step on that safety and they're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is actually going to happen. So um, unreal. unreal, unreal. I mean, it's, it's, I, I cannot... Uh, one of those games, again, I, again, I, I mentioned it at the top, but you know, you think about since the Rams have come back to LA the last five years, five seasons, I mean, there's, there's the, uh, the, the game against the chiefs at the Coliseum that I think was the 45, 42 game. Uh, there was the NFC championship game, obviously with that said uh, controversy and everything else. And then there's this game. I mean, these are going to be the three games that, and, and who knows, who knows what's going to happen on Sunday or, or beyond. Uh, but wow. I mean, that that, that's that's your three uh, right now that uh, if you're uh, if you followed the Rams since they've come back to LA I mean those are the three you're never going to forget um, and uh, my goodness but you never had that feel you know it, it's just Tampa Bay and Tom Brady you just kept looking at it and going like mm, they're just you know you, you just want to keep and and the Rams did everything you could do to Tom Brady my goodness I'd oh, never seen pressure. anything like that before on, on Tom Brady um and just he was just getting battered and I mean uh, poor guy you know he hurt his lip I mean I hope <laughs> I hope everything's okay I don't know if anybody's checked on that today uh but uh but I mean just unbelievable the and, and obviously Tampa Bay's offensive front was was uh, having a lot of problems, uh, injuries, and and uh, guys going in and out. But boy, did the Rams do a good job with that! I mean, everything that you could possibly do 
um, up until it, you know things started going sideways. And again, even that, as we've talked about a lot this season, I mean, that's those quick changes that you talk about so often and those you know uh, field position things and having to go back on the field like 12 seconds after you got off it or, or something like that. I mean, yeah, you can look at it and say, oh, they didn't make some of those plays or you know there was a missed tackle there on that Leonard Fournette. But I mean, the, the Rams defense did, did all they could do in, in that game to, to put themselves in a position and oh my goodness I you know but but what a what a game what absolutely what a game I, that Nick Scott interception was just uh, phenomenal to see a guy like that you just love to see that I mean you don't have to be a Rams fan um, to love to see somebody like that you know play their way onto a team and then play their way into a, a bigger role and then play their way into a, a huge uh, a play like that again second week in a row that that he's uh, made a big play uh, on on defense there so you love it for a guy like that you know for a guy like Matt Gay like you said um, you know in, in that in that pressure spot can't can't imagine what he was thinking going out onto that field probably um, similarly as Cooper Cup <laughs> probably probably maybe for slightly different reasons but uh, but yeah, and and Jordan, how about one guy we, we haven't talked about? And um, you know, Joe Noteboom. Um, this is a guy who is probably we, we'll probably have to have this conversation a little bit more in depth after the season is over, whenever that is. But um, you know, the Rams have not re signed Joe Noteboom, and um. Andrew Whitworth has been humming along here at uh, whatever age he is now. I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, I think he's going backward at this point. But um, <laughs> but I tell you what, Jordan. You know, and, and there's been a lot of questions about Joe Noteboom, and you know, is he really an NFL left tackle? What what role should he be playing on this team? You can't argue with what the Rams have gotten from Joe Noteboom at left tackle, and and I think this game was another good example of that, wasn't it? Yeah, twice, too, against Tampa Bay, because uh, last year he played well against Tampa Bay, too. And and this, you know, this front is certainly nothing to turn your nose up at. Tampa Bay has done some remarkable things with their with their defensive line um, over the last couple of seasons. And so for Joe Noteboom to largely go unnoticed, even when he strained a pec, a pectoral um, late in the game and, and sort right. of stuck stuck it out. That that was really remarkable. You know, this I I genuinely don't know how this is going to go for him in the off season. Um, the Rams, obviously, there are so many benefits that would go into keeping a guy like that around. Um, not the least that he has sort of a fresher set of legs than any starting caliber right tackle mm. normally would have entering his second contract, just because he hasn't he hasn't played that much because right. um, they haven't needed him because Andrew Whitworth uh, has just been astounding and and sort of thwarted time here. But at the <laughs> same time, it, I think a lot of it does hinge upon what they ultimately feel, you know, what Andrew ultimately feels he's going to do. And so it's probably a domino effect period. And I will say one thing that maybe is – a sort of a safety valve for them because another team, other teams will have, this was prime time. This was, you know, what was it? 66% of the country was watching this game. I saw you had a, a, a retweet of Sam Farmer. Yes. Yeah. Sam Farmer. It, it, it was actually it was, was 66% of TVs in LA were turned to right. watch the fourth quarter of the game, which is Got remarkable. That's, There's a lot of TVs. That's, that's a lot There's of a lot of televisions in Los Angeles. So yeah. you can assume that a lot of other people in other markets, other teams are watching this, certainly other teams who aren't playing right now. And, and so you know that he's going to get 
a lot of attention um, in the offseason. And I think the safety valve for the Rams is Alaric Jackson being so Mm. good earlier in the season, um, but he's so young still. So you really want to see how you can navigate that. The Rams, um, you kind of know where their money's tied up. So it would depend on a little bit of a shift in their model in that regard if they do decide to do that. But this, this, again, you know, Joe Noboom – Really, that's definitely a conversation to have in a future time. But he does, you know, he told he said today he, he really would love to stick around. Um, yeah. He'd love for it to be here. But it, it really is dependent on on so many different factors. And and you really can't say enough about how well he's played when they've needed him to. And particularly how important it was yesterday in in just helping settle a group that has really played very well all season despite having some moving parts from time to time, some injuries, um, you know, re- reshuffling their blocking scheme and, and all of that. Um, Andrew Whitworth is on schedule to play on Sunday against the 49ers. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that Joe Nobim's now going to be day-to-day with the, with the pec injury, but he did, you know, he was able to finish the game. So I think that's a, a pretty good sign for at least having him as available depth, but we'll see. Uh, they haven't practiced yet this week, obviously, so uh, we're going to check on that. But Rich, real quick before we get to San Fran, mm-hmm. how about the other side of the ball? I mean, how the 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 curve toward the positive of what this Rams pass rush has done over yeah. the last eight to ten weeks or so especially rushing just for and allowing the back end of the defense to do more of their trickeration and sort of muddy the waters for quarterbacks a little bit better um, has just been remarkable. And, and two weeks in a row in the postseason has been actually literally historic Hmm. what they've done. 23 pressures combined between Von Miller who had 10 Aaron Donald who had eight Leonard Floyd who had five, um, you know, Von Miller with the strip sack, obviously that was instantly taken back by a botched snap situation, but right. still so impressive in the moment. Von Miller won uh, 65% of his pass rush snaps, yeah. which is the second highest of all time in a playoff game. Um, I mean, it's insane. It's insane what those guys have been able to do these last two weeks. It will be so, so important um this week against San Francisco particularly some of those quick strike things that Jimmy Garoppolo loves to do yeah. um but it it just has been th- and then the way that they've planned this front too um they have it, it it sounds simple oh you're you're starting right tackles out and the backups in okay put a guy put put your best player over the outside of the right tackle well you can't really do that with everybody particularly not if that if your best guy is an interior defensive lineman right, right, unless right. that guy is freaking Aaron Donald right 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 then rush yeah. him from anywhere hell drop him into coverage if you need to have him play quarterback if you need to whatever like yeah. my god Wild, wildcat yeah and and he was a presence immediately Tom Brady felt it. You could tell that he was hassled. A lot of his throws either bounced or sailed and yeah. or they were early, which was not, you know, not the ideal situation for for Tom Brady to be in, obviously. And he was he was frustrated. You could tell. Yeah. And that yeah. was their plan. Just hit him with everything you got. Do it in a variety of different ways up the middle around the outside. 
um, and, and just keep and just keep it going. Just keep, as they say, as we've talked about before, pinning your ears back. And that's what these guys said. They were really open about it all week in the week leading up to the game where it's Tom Brady. It's not like a specific type of pressure gets to him or irritates him more frequently than other types of pressure. It's just right. that you have to keep getting that pressure. Right. And right. they did so at it, like I said, an historic rate. They've been doing that. They did that to Kyler Murray at an historic rate. These guys are, this group is feeling itself. They are feeling themselves. Um, Von Miller has brought, I think, something special too in the way that he flips a switch into just a little bit higher of a gear yeah. in the postseason, um, just making plays the way that he's done in, in crucial crunch time moments. And actually, too, had a couple of really important run stops when the when Tampa started to look like they were going to start getting some stuff going on the ground, um, a couple tackles in the backfield that were important. And it's just been so, so impressive. I mean, you can't say enough about the job that Raheem Morris and Eric Henderson have done in that regard in terms of finding uh, – it's it's not simple because it's it takes a lot of planning and all this stuff. But, it, but again, theoretically simple ways to have a major effect – and when we flip it to the 49ers, that's exactly yeah. what they've done to the Rams every time they've played them, especially on offense, in finding theoretically simple ways, little nuances, little details, little tweaks to attack some of the weaker points uh, of where the, the Rams were. That's what good teams do. That's where they find their edges and their margins. That's what the Rams defense did all day long against uh, a somewhat embattled Tampa Bay front. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I mean, Vaughn Miller's been incredible. Um, I, I didn't know what the Rams would get from him at, at almost, you know, 33 years old. A lot yeah, of, is it too late to throw in another pick? I mean, no, oh I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of miles on the, in that body, too. I mean, he's played a, a long, you know, tough career. Um, and, and I didn't know quite what they would get. And he looks like he's getting better. I mean, so, somehow I don't know how that's happening. But I, I'll tell you what, Jordan, and, and I'll do a, a, a mea culpa here, too, is that, um, you know, during the week, like I went on a couple radio shows and podcasts and they ask about atta- attacking Tom Brady. And I was kind of of the mindset of, well, you know, it's Tom Brady. Like this guy's seen everything. Doesn't matter what you bring against him. He's going to be able to read it and adjust. Never in my wildest dreams did I think they would get the type of fierce, sustained pressure that they got on Tom Brady. Um, I've not watched all of Tom Brady's games. I've not watched most of Tom Brady's games, but I've, I've Yes, I've watched a fair amount of them. Um, to see him be as uncomfortable as he was, it wasn't just the plays where he was getting sacked or getting hit. I mean, it was the plays where he's throwing balls at guys' feet or he's throwing balls behind guys. You don't see Tom Brady doing that a whole lot, not consistently. And that's what the Rams were forcing him into. They were not only hitting him, but they were making him very uncomfortable back there. And if you would have told me coming into that game that they would be able to do that to Tom Brady... I don't think I would have believed you, um, but they were certainly able to do that. Great job of, of scheming against that front that obviously was weakened a little bit, but um, you still have to beat it. You still have to scheme against it to, to get it done. And the Rams did that. Uh, Aaron Donald lining up outside. I don't know what you can say about that. The guy's a defensive tackle. They're not supposed to be out there where he is Surprise! doing what yeah. he's doing, um, but but he can do it. And that's why he's a matchup nightmare and and always has been because you can put him anywhere. You could put him at middle linebacker and, and he would be able to do some things. Um, so uh, that doesn't surprise me, but it's still amazing to see. I wonder, Jordan, as we kind of pivot now into into talking about this matchup against the 49ers, how do you think that plays now? Because obviously you want to get after Jimmy Garoppolo. You obviously want to harass him. Um, but also a lot of that, a lot of this game is going to be at the line of scrimmage. A lot of it is going to be, you know, whatever combination of running backs. I guess Eli Mitchell is, is good to go now and he's running the ball well. Obviously they do a lot of things with Debo Samuel. Um, so just kind of doing that, pinning your ears back and coming after the quarterback. Yes, you want to do a fair amount of that when when the situation dictates it. Uh, but, but you also don't want to get into that situation where, then they're you know they're hitting you with a draw or they're hitting you with Debo in some uh, way. So how, how do you how do you think this changes now? I mean, this is the third meeting between these teams, um, and we've talked. I remember it was just two weeks ago we we talked about the halftime adjustments that were made uh, by the 49ers that the Rams didn't do a great job of adjusting to. Um, I'm sure the 49ers will have new r- 
wrinkles. I'm sure the Rams will have to adjust to those new wrinkles. Um, but how do you see that going? I mean, the, this momentum that this Rams defense has now over the last couple of weeks, can they sustain it? Or is this just a very different opponent and a very different style uh, playing against the 49ers? It's just not it, – it's – it's perennially not been a good matchup for the Rams, which is again why it does, it is a cruel irony that they weren't able to knock them out when they had the opportunity right. to do so because, um, because now again, they have to just, you know, just like I was saying in my column, now they have to face sort of their, their collective demons here and all the things that they weren't able to do in the regular season are now showing up. And, and they're back at their stadium. And it, you can talk about it from the crowd all the way down to what's happening on the field. There are a lot of uh, reckonings to be had at this point. <laughs> and I think that, to me, it's all going to be about simple nuances and simple tweaks that require quick adjustments in real time and instinctual aggressive adjustments in real time. And what I mean by that is if they are pressuring Jimmy Garoppolo, he is immediately going to go Sh- – Shanahan and McDaniel are immediately going to go to the quick game or to reverse his sweeps with Debo, which they have done, which is on tape, which has worked so effectively against the Rams. Why wouldn't you keep doing it? Right. What you do then is you obviously have to get adjust your defense to be able to move laterally uh, as, as one sort of – you always talk about the back end being on a rope and and how it's supposed to look like it's kind of on a rope when it plays. Um, You need that with your front as well. You need to be able to shed quickly if you need to move horizontally to fill more space. Um, And that you also need to, if you're pressuring, you need to be able to flip, you know, into whatever the play sort of de-escalates into at that point. But your, your, your middle linebackers are so crucial in that regard. And, the most important thing that could really be the the defining factor of this game is is tackling. They're going to make yeah. all 11 players try to tackle in the run game and they're going to try to target the middle of the field. Most likely, I would I would I would guess yeah. if I were a betting woman, this is what I would bet is that they will once again try to find ways to spam the middle of the field, that second level, knowing that the Rams are playing with the shell, knowing that they're coming from depth, knowing that there is small pockets of space to be found, knowing that your catch-and-run players who are so effective, particularly Debo Samuel and George Kittle, are able to make people miss, are able to uh, initiate first contact and then get away from first contact and then that sort of causes a ripple effect and you get extra yards. Those are the extra yards that make the difference. The Rams have not been as effective as they were last year in it containing the explosive play, but I would say that their front has been just as good, if not better, particularly this time of the year, um, particularly with adding Von Miller. And their coverage still has, you know, uh, still has potential. You worry some about some of the things that happened with Darius Williams yesterday. Uh, I do not worry about Jalen Ramsey. You never see that a 55-yard Catch, particularly touchdown catch with him, and you just don't see that. I mean, that's one of those outliers that you're kind of talking about there, uh, particularly Mike Evans. You can't have that happen. He's going to come into this game angry. You know that. 
Um, and they're going to need him. They're going to need everybody. They're going to need their corners to tackle. They're going to need their safeties to tackle. They're going to need Nick Scott to be as physical as he has been playing. They're going to need an all-time game from Troy Reader. Ernest Jones is probably coming back this week, but again, he's coming back off an ankle injury, and the Rams have been using Troy Reader as their green dot player, which means that the green dot player does not come off the field, right? So you need Troy Reader to have an all-time game. Um, and because he he is going to be targeted. They targeted him with their run game when they were doing those tosses and those sweeps where they changed the contact point to where the, the defensive front has just one extra second where they have to move and they're blocked. So you you change the, the onus directly onto the middle layer to come down and tackle. Um, did not do so effectively last game. Uh, the one before that, Jimmy Garoppolo's quick game directly targeted the middle of the field. Um, they didn't do a good job containing that. And and so, or the second level uh, of the field, sure, the middle at times, but specifically the second level of the field did not do a good job containing that. This is a formula that the 49ers have used against the Rams that works. Pressure aside, you can get as much pressure as you want. Right. And th- they've done an impressive job, but really the key to this game will be about adjusting quickly when those little wrinkles are, are addressed and um, just that the front even less so than pressure specifically um because Jimmy Garoppolo can be bothered but the way that they can they can scheme that quick game he is very good in the quick game that down low stuff um the little wrist flick stuff and so you know you you can pressure all you want but if he can get the ball off then and there's nobody there in coverage or tackles are being missed then the point is moot right so yeah. containment 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 Tackling on first contact, both arms, physical, you know, yeah. it, it's, it, it can't, it's, it's so simple, right? In theory, it's not mm-hmm. simple in reality, but the answers to this test aren't going to take some insane out, out Shanahaning Shanahan right. trickeration. It's, that's not what it's going to do. This game to me is going to come down to day one fundamentals of football and then all of the things that you can do with those fundamentals when those wrinkles happen and when you see those things happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to put it all on Troy reader, but he's, it's going to be a big game for him. Um, and, and I think about a guy like Traven Howard too, mm-hmm. who I, I think has played very well and I uh, think he, he's going to need to have a, a really good game. Um, I'm interested to see what would happen. I, I, I know we mentioned uh, Whitworth and, and Noteboom. Uh, looks like Taylor Rapp, you know, might be able to come back. Just a, a scary situation there. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's now missed two games. Uh, uh, or, uh, just one game, right? Uh, two games. The, uh, no, it is two games. That's yeah. right. And, um, so two games because of concussion. I don't, certainly I'm not going to, um, you know, uh, go into what might be going on there, but that, that's, that's kind of a long time. So I, I hope things are um, okay there with mm-hmm. Taylor and, and um, sounds like from Sean McVay's comments that um, he's, he's headed on the right track. So anyway, uh, point being is that um, it'd be interested to see what they can do if, if he um, comes back in there, he will be a very important person in, in terms of some of the things that, that we're talking about here, but you're right, Jordan, I don't, you know, it, it might sound um, simple maybe, but it's, it, I don't think this is going to come down to a lot of, you know, Oh, you have to come up with some great scheme or we have to confuse people or no, it's, it's really going to be about, uh, the fundamentals and and wrapping up and and things that you learn when 
when you whenever you start playing football in Pop Warner or whatever. Uh, and and if the Rams can't do those things, it's going to be a long day, just as it was a long day in in the first two meetings. So, um, it, it, you know, and then obviously if you compare that with some of the stuff that we're talking about with getting that pressure on third downs mm-hmm. when when you really need it, uh, good play from your cornerbacks. Uh, then obviously that stuff is important too, but that you know, I think it's pretty clear where this game got away from the Rams, uh, at least at the last meeting, is is some of the things that that we're talking about here. So, just just a you know bad matchup for the Rams. I'm I'm glad we're getting it though, just for because it's super compelling to see how this well, is going to play up, out. Lining up right, isn't it? Seventh game, you know, yeah, seventh 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 opportunity, six six straight losses, seventh opportunity here amid this streak. Um, and again, a a parallel situation to what some of the things were happening in, in week 18 when you had the chance to not face these guys again, yeah. not yeah. only to break that streak, but to not face these guys at Second the most chance. important part of your postseason. Second chance to end their season. Couldn't do it the first time. Can you do it this time? Um, great, great, compelling stuff. 19, uh, Jordan, I know you will remember this well, the 1989 NFC uh, championship game. You, you don't have to tell me where you were then. It's fine. We don't have to, we don't have to get into it. I wasn't even an idea, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel great. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that that was, uh, you know, the Rams that people have been remembering, those of us, uh, you know, old timers who uh, have need our memories jogged, but remembering the, the Rams made it to that game by beating the Giants in a real compelling, uh, like a last second play or it might have been overtime. I can't remember what it was, but uh, Jim Everett to Flipper Anderson and then uh, the NFC Championship game didn't quite go the Rams way. I, I remember that. I was, uh, I think I was like, I had to have been about. What twelve? I guess, and uh, just like it was one of those, like you know, the whole everybody was kind of buzzing, like oh, the Rams are in the NFC Championship game, and then it was just like I don't remember what it was at halftime, but the game was over by halftime. It was it was a very disappointing uh, situation. So um, yeah, gosh, doesn't feel like thirty two years ago, um, but I uh, hope I hope people can relate to that. So um, great, great match. And by the way. Um, the NFC West, everything that we thought it was, right? I mean, right. here we are with, uh, and and the team, the other team that makes it, the Arizona Cardinals, got eliminated by another NFC West team. So it, yeah, it really, uh, you can look back and say now that that really was. I mean, for the Rams to have won that division, um, now knowing how good it really was, uh, really uh, is something that they can be uh, proud of. I think as. Even if they, even though they backed into it, man, that's fine. Yeah, they they went on. They then beat the Cardinals, and they went on the road and beat Tom Brady. So that still does count for for showing that you might be the real thing there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, wonderfully, wonderfully compelling matchup, and uh, the Rams now have a chance. Uh, As you know, Jordan, I'm not sure if you heard the Super Bowl. Break news here: the Super Bowl is at SoFi Stadium this year. Did Hmm. you know that? How about that? Yeah, I don't. Apparently, there's like a halftime show and everything. It's it's wild. It's really wild. So the Rams now have an opportunity to um, not only uh, play in the NFC Championship game at home, but also play in the Super Bowl at home, which has never been done before. And by the way, Jordan, I don't know whether you heard. I don't know whether you heard, but there's a there's oh, this a. This is good. You t- tell tell us about this, Rich. Because yeah, that, yeah, yeah. There's there's a minor little thing <laughs> about about tickets and about about. <laughs> 
you know, about let me let me just set this. Let, let's go over this because there's there's a lot of questions out there. Yeah, and, and also um, as this is happening, I'm so glad. This is so great to have just mm-hmm. a, a cohort like Rich because I'm on a plane this morning coming back from Tampa. <laughs> And I wake and I like wake up and we're landing and I'm lucky I'm lucky because I'm a person who could sleep on planes uh, not well but at least you know you kind of are in that sort of like half coma right yeah. and uh, I I get my phone unlocked and I see and it's like it's just a mess just mm-hmm. just so much is happening and there's Rich Hammond navigating yes. it all yes fighting <laughs> fighting the fires fighting the that f- nobody wants to fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> And starting a few of my own in the yes. process and then fighting them. Uh, okay. So let, let's go through this real quick. Um, and we're not going to waste a lot of time on it. But I know this has come up and it's it's been spread around the country now and with, with some slight twists of misinformation. Um, so w- what happened was uh, during the game yesterday and maybe even before the game, it, it got put out there that um, the Rams were um, – I don't know the exact wording, but but we're restricting uh, ticket access for the potential NFC Championship game, which had not yet been clinched, obviously. But they were selling tickets because you kind of have to. I mean, that's the way these things go. You don't wait until after a game to start selling tickets. Um, so their plan was to uh, restrict uh, home, uh, excuse me, restrict uh, ticket purchases to people who lived in a certain number of zip codes in the Southern California area. Obvious reason because the first time that the Rams and 49ers played, there were a very there's a very very large percentage of 49er fans uh, in the stadium. So Rams, somewhat reasonably, uh, you can debate whether or not it's <laughs> whatever. But they, they decide, hey, you know what? We're going to try this. We're going to try to restrict it to people who live in the Southern California area. I've seen other teams do that before. Um, hockey teams, actually, uh, I saw that happen in the playoffs sometimes where they uh, would try to do the same thing. Anyway. This got a little twisted because this is not happening. Okay. This is this is the if you if you want if you just want the end game to this, this restrictions thing is not happening. What the plan was, the Rams sent out an email to their season ticket holders and said, We have some available for a potential NFC championship game. They are going to be made available to season ticket holders, first and foremost, in a pre-sale. If those tickets do not sell out, they will be made available to the general public. If they, are, if, if there are tickets and if they are made available to the general public, then there will be a restriction to people who live in Southern California. We never got to that step because the tickets that were made available were all purchased by season ticket holders. There was not a public uh, sale. There is not a public sale. There are no restrictions. Um, what you see when you go to Ticketmaster right now is a lot of seats available. Those are all secondary market. Those are all people who have purchased those tickets already and are reselling them. Those tickets are not restricted. You don't have to be in Southern California to buy them. You could be in, you know, Indonesia and buy them if you wanted to, uh, as long as you can get to Inglewood by Sunday. Um, There's no restriction. So it, it got a little bit twisted and like this is something that's ongoing. It's not ongoing. You can debate whether or not it should or should have happened or what it says about certain things. Fine, that's an entirely other debate, but it's not happening. So that's that's the that's the uh, the bullet point that we can put on it. But it'll be interesting, Jordan. It's a little bit different. I remember the um, playoff game the Rams played in 2018 against Dallas at the Coliseum. Um, I, I don't remember it exactly. It was a bigger Rams uh, uh, percentage than than we expected. 
because Dallas obviously has a ton of fans in Southern California. And there, I remember kind of having that, hearing that same kind of fear that, oh gosh, you know, Dallas fans are going to take over the Coliseum. It's going to be a Dallas home game. It really wasn't, as I recall. They were well represented, uh, certainly, and, and, you know, more than you would like if you're the home team. So I, I think you're going to see a little bit uh, of a similar thing. You're going to see a lot of visiting fans in the stadium. Uh, and that, that's just to be expected. There's a lot of visiting, there's a lot of Rams fans when the Rams play in San Francisco or when they play in Arizona uh, or when, you know, they play nearby. So it's going to happen, but, um, but yeah, I don't, this whole thing got a little twisted and the bottom line is it's not happening. So if you see anything about there about the Rams are restricting tickets, it was the plan. That is true. Uh, that it was something that would have happened, but it's not happening. So there you go. There's, there's four hours of, of Twitter arguments uh, distilled into uh, about two minutes of, of podcast. Doesn't that make you feel like you accomplished something no, with your time this morning? Not at all. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm wasting my life. But you yeah, know, well, but, I'm glad but, you cleared it up because it's important. You know, yeah. like people were are wondering about this, and this is something that again, you, I, I'm opening my phone this morning, and this whole thing has gone viral. When it really, uh, maybe the it was just a little bit premature to have the reaction that did kind of get memed and, and whatnot because. Right. Um, it didn't end up happening at the same time, you know, I think while it is fair for a team to make the decision that it wants to make in that regard, ultimately, this isn't a problem that we're talking about because it didn't happen. But if it did, right. you know, the team obviously can make that decision and the other team can obviously criticize that decision. Yeah. Both totally parts fair. are fair. Yeah. Totally fair. So, yeah. but, but it was, it was interesting. Um, also on my plane, a podcast listener uh, ah. didn't catch his name. It was yeah. about five in the, what was it? Six in the morning. Mm-hmm. Didn't catch his name. We were sort of filing in, um, to the plane and uh, and and he, I was wearing my the athletic hat and he asked uh, when when you and I were going to be recording, uh, and I was like, oh man, he's going to have to put up with me and my jet lag and all that today. And um, didn't catch his name because we were trying to take our seats, but very very nice guy. Uh, my right flights were full of Rams fans, which was neat. Yeah. Um, very cool to see uh, group group travels. When I joined the speed, I I wasn't sure right because you you know it's such an historic fan base. Um, but then also one that's gone through a lot of change in the last couple of, of years and decades. Yeah. And so you just weren't sure. And, and so far on my road trips, it's been kind of cool. You've you've seen Rams fans really travel really well, um, yeah. which yeah. has been neat. It's kind of a cool, cool atmosphere to cover and, and look around and, and just know that everybody's going to share that experience. Um, it's pretty cool. But won't have yeah. to won't have to think about that this week. You know, no. they're, they're going to be in their in their home stadium. You guys. uh it's going to be a hell of a game. I mean, I I don't even I I don't even know what I would call this one. I think if I were on the outside looking in, I would obviously say, well, you know, the 49ers kind of own these guys, right? But but when you're in it and you see how really these games have unfolded, particularly this last one and how the Rams really did have it and and yeah. sort of, you know, not to make a terrible pun, but they sort of fumbled it away. And um, so, you know, you, you're in it and you're thinking, okay, this is really an anything could happen game because if the Rams are at their best, I, I really do think that they could beat any team um, if they're at their best. Um, but if they keep tripping over themselves, that is when the good teams that operate so well on those margins of error and pounce 
and capitalize so well on those things. The 49ers being one of them, yeah. that is when they get you and that is when they sort of swarm you. So um, it, it's going to be really, really fascinating to see. We are, of course, going to be covering the entire thing. We are bringing the house for these next couple ones. So it's going to be really fun, you guys. I'll make sure and point out uh, who to follow where and for what uh, throughout this entire week. Very excited for for some of these things that we're going to be doing. Um, got a couple stories I think you will be interested in uh, coming out next week and or this week and and I think hopefully next week because you really would hate to <laughs> squ- squash a story <laughs> this right. time of year, selfishly speaking. Um, right, right. But we will also be sticking with you the entire time on the Eleven Personnel podcast, and uh, we we've got extra innings with you guys, and it's been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, this is what you do it for. It's it's great to see the excitement out there. Uh, I, I used to love seeing uh, fans on the road too. Um, you know, those are the people who really, when they travel and spend the money and take the time, you can see how pumped up they are, and and to see them uh, uh, get to experience that and enjoy it is uh, something that's really cool. So I'm glad it was a good flight home for that person you talked about. Um, yeah, I, I agree, Jordan. You know, just to, to put a final point on it. Um, you know, the betting line opened at Rams minus 3.5, which is a little bit surprising because the 49ers have beaten them twice this year. Uh, so to say that, uh, you know, the Rams are favorites, I, I think speaks to, I don't I don't know how these things are, are decided or made, but I, I think it speaks to the idea that the Rams have a talented team. And when you look at these two teams side by side, you think the Rams should win this game. Doesn't mean they will. It doesn't negate the fact that the 49ers have outplayed them twice this season and have gotten the job done. That's a, that's a huge credit to the San Francisco 49ers uh, to win those two games and to be in this NFC Championship game. It does not take anything away from them. Uh, but when you look at these teams, uh, the Rams probably should be favored in this game. And it's going to be up to them for all the reasons that we just spent the last hour talking about uh, to see whether or not they can. So, I am excited, Jordan. I know uh, whoever you buy your coffee from is very excited because oh man, they're going to yeah, be rich. It, yeah, they, <laughs> they have another at least one more week of, of great profits coming. Shout out, um, shout out, Grady's Cold Brew in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> all right, all right. So um, I, I can't wait, Jordan, to, to see what's coming. Um, and I know uh, our subscribers follow along with you on Twitter, of course, at Jordan Rodriguez. You'll have injury updates during the week, uh, some of these things that, uh, you know, maybe game time decisions. But really, really what you need to be doing if you're not already is subscribing to The Athletic. And if you are a subscriber, grab a friend, put them on board too, and, and connect them with all of Jordan's great coverage because they're not going to want to miss it uh, uh, this week. And of course, our, our friends up in the Bay Area do a fantastic job of, of covering the 49ers too. So you, you're going to get the, all of their coverage too and see what's going on up there. And the way that you do that, either for yourself or for a friend or 10 friends or 20 friends, your whole neighborhood, whatever you want to do, go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. You can sign up right now. Get all of Jordan's coverage, and when you do so, you can make her very happy because you will get her favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? It is still, still, after all of these weeks and months, Yes, it is still a great discount. You guys, my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount, you get it every single time you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast. We love it when you do. We love it when you tell us about it. Uh, one of my other favorite things has been all year this year, you guys throwing these inside jokes around on Twitter. Uh, 
there will be a moment that happens in a game on special teams and I will get <laughs> 60 tweets that say Abtac. Abtac. And if you're a new podcast listener, go dig through the archives or ask a friend about that one. Um, I love that everybody knew. I mean, you go and you look at that tweet from yesterday and like, I think it was a couple hundred of you knew what I was referencing to darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you guys, I can't, I cannot tell you what a joy it is to feel this community for this little passion project podcast that we do uh, that has drawn so many of you guys in. And we are so grateful for it. Make sure you are subscribing to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast because we are keeping this discount as long as we can uh, and, and trying to keep it from our bosses. So if our bosses are listening, what discount? We don't know about a discount. Yeah. Um, but you guys, we are so, so fortunate to have you with us along for the ride. Um, and we're going to be with you every step of the way. Uh, we didn't do breathing exercises this time, um, but if you need them, I will send them to you. Uh, and, and, you know, the Rams, the Rams certainly are giving you reasons to utilize them. Um, but, you know, we will really enjoy however long this this journey for the Rams goes. And, and we'll be excited to bring you um, coverage, updates, analysis and insight every step of the way. We'll catch you next time. 